When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Season 4 of Biscuits and Jam. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine, and we're launching this season with a special episode about one of my favorite cities. Every year, aspiring country artists relocate to Nashville to pursue their career in music, but the move doesn't always lead to fame and fortune, and it can often prove to be quite difficult. Today on the show, I'm going to share stories from past guests about when they made the move, sometimes at a very young age, and what it was like starting out in Music City. I'm going to kick things off today with musician and actor Lainey Wilson, who spent her early days in Nashville living in a camper trailer. Lainey, you moved to Nashville in a camper trailer in, I think you said, 2011. You didn't really know anyone. What were some of your days and what did some of your early gigs look like? Man, August 1st, 2011, I moved to Nashville in a Flagstaff bumper pool camper trailer. And I was known as the camper trailer girl. I didn't know where to start. I did not know who to talk to. I will say a crazy story that kind of goes with the whole camper trailer thing. Back in the late 70s, my grandfather on my daddy's side, his name was Basil Wilson. They called him Buck. There was a guy from my hometown who was kind of like family, but not. But he had this dream of moving to Nashville and being a songwriter and a producer. And my grandfather gave him a few hundred dollars to kind of help him move to Nashville and get started. So years later, he had some success in the 90s with like Ken Millens and Kevin Sharp. And as a favor in return, he literally let me live in my camper outside of his studio in a patch of grass. He let me live there for free for three years because of what my grandfather did for him all those years before. It just goes to show you that when you do good, it could come back generations later. So whatever I do in this lifetime could affect my kids' kids. That's just one of the coolest stories for me to really think about it. But when I was living in my camper, I'll be honest, I had some dark days. I did. There were times when I should have packed it up and went home. But the crazy thing is, I never wanted to. Of course, I love home. And like I said, that's what made me me. But I knew I was supposed to be there. Even when it was snowing outside and my furnace couldn't keep up and I was having to wear three jackets to sleep and four pairs of socks. I never wanted to go home. I was like, this is it. And I'm going to do whatever I got to do to find my place. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if that meant I was just going to be a songwriter. But I knew that if I hung in there long enough, that I was going to find my place. Up next, Madeline Edwards tells me why she chose to relocate to Nashville and how the first few months of living there were anticlimactic until she got an unexpected call that would change the trajectory of her career. You moved to Nashville not long ago. What finally made you take that leap and what were the first few months in Nashville like for you? So I got married a year and a half ago. 
And my husband and I were long distance at the time. He was in Mississippi and I was in Houston. And we were trying to decide a place to land. And I told him, I was like, it's funny. We actually talked about it just yesterday with everything going on with the Stapleton tour and everything happening. And he's like, man, it's just so funny to think that when we first started dating, actually on our first date, I told him, this is what I'm doing with music. And this is what I want to do. And if you're going to be along for the ride, you need to be okay with this. There's a possibility of this being bigger than I even think it could be. And is this okay with you? And he is, I mean, he's the most supportive partner I could ever ask for, but we were trying to decide on a place to move after we got married. And I knew that my career would not be able to do what it needed to in Mississippi. And we were having a hard time finding a job for him in Houston. And so we were kind of toying with the ideas of LA and Nashville and New York. And and Nashville was just kind of the place that we decided on just because it was kind of still close to both of our families. And it was a place that I could pursue music and probably maybe do well. The first few months in Nashville were very slow. (laughs) It was still kind of during COVID times and nothing was totally open yet. And it was very anticlimactic. I mean, you move there with these big dreams and these big goals. And I remember for the first year I was just sitting, I was just writing my own music. I put out my first EP that did seemingly well called The Road and everything was pretty low key. There was nothing too, too much that happened. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, you know, I get the call from Amanda Shires, who's in the high women. And she asked me to be on this song for Lady Gaga's 10 year anniversary of born this way. And from that point on, things just kind of snowballed into this really big, then it was the CMAs. And then it was getting asked to go on tour with the Stapletons. And then it was just all of these things just lined back to back to back. So it's funny. I think a lot of people think that the first year it was just like we got here and then everything happened all at once. But really for the first, you know, six to eight months, it was very much just like a game of us twiddling our thumbs and wondering (laughs) if we made the right decision to move to Nashville. Walker Hayes was in Nashville for almost 13 years before his music took off. He talked to me about working at Costco while trying to get his career started, the initial rejection that he experienced, and why he never stopped writing songs. You moved to Nashville. You were there for a pretty long time before your music career started to get some traction. Were there hard conversations with your family about whether or not this whole thing was going to work? I wish we were that communicative. But honestly, man, you know, I think it had a lot to do with where I grew up. But like, Silence says a lot. If things were heating up, we communicated a lot more. And if things were bad, the phones didn't ring. You know what I mean? And that's just a natural. I think I grew up in a place where when things were bad, you just don't talk about it. You know, if when my dad was passing, there were times when I, I would get frustrated with my mom and be like, Mom, you, you have got the call. And you've got to tell me that dad fell down the stairs last night. You you can't call me a week later and say, hey, last week we had an episode. It's okay now. You know, I think some of that's a Southern thing, you know, not wanting to make a thing of it, not wanting to bother you that, you know, that sort of thing. 
totally or or just be vulnerable or or you know admit weakness i don't know what it is but i'll just sum sum that answer up by saying you know when like when i was at costco and you know, i was an alcoholic and Lanny was always pregnant we didn't get a lot of visitors my dad same old constant like he would laugh. I, would, I would call him and be like i remember one time i told him i said you know i'm I just got a job and working at Costco. He just laughed and he said, that's going to build some character. You know, he was like, that's going to be good for you. He believed in you. He did. Well, it's a pretty remarkable story, Walker. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of people on this podcast who say that they were in Nashville for two years or three years or four years before something happened. And I mean, you had a pretty long road to get to where you are. Was there ever a time when you thought, okay, I'm, I think I'm done. I'm going to hang it up here. There were moments that hurt really bad. There, there were rejections that hurt really bad. There were failures that really did. They felt final. There was a couple like that. But at the same time, and I don't know if this is a product of, of my father or, or I've got a screw loose or what, but I would just get up and write about it. You know, there's a song I have called Leela Stars. And it makes me laugh because I just look back at just that whole scenario and I, and I, and I'm like, I honestly tell my own story and I'm like, man, we're crazy. I mean, we're crazy. Like it's almost like security was always like saying, Hey, I'm over here. If you would like me. And we were like, nah, we don't, I'm going to go write a song about this, you know? And I mean, I, I remember sitting in my Honda with the roof that was held up by thumbtacks that my daughter let us borrow. And I'm about to clock in at Costco. It's like three 50 in the morning and I'm looking around and, and there's lyrics written on my hands. There's lyrics written on cups, napkins, trash. There's lyrics written everywhere. And I'm sitting here trying to decide like, how do I be a great father? That's it. I just want to be a great father. And does that mean ride or die? Like do this dream, drag them through the mud and my wife through near poverty? Or does that mean I have to just hang that? I need to break up with this dream of mine. And honestly, I'm hesitant to even call it a dream because I didn't have any goals in mind. It's, It's not like I was going, man, I want to be famous. I want to be on the radio. I just loved music. I just love to write. And, and and it wasn't like I sat there and talked about that passion. I just did it. I just wrote and I sang. And that's what I did naturally. There was a couple of arguments involving alcohol with Laney that were really, really tough. There were a couple of failures. Like I said, there was one day Steve Martin had actually flown me out to New York to audition for a part in his play called Bright Star. And um, I was so close. I I remember Lainey and I, she would hold our baby Loxley in film. We would do this scene hours and hours into the night. And we thought for sure this was going to be it. And this was like, this was 13 years in, you know what I mean? And I mean, we've, I mean, this 10 year town is, we've already passed that. I remember getting the call that I, out of the last three, I was not selected. And I remember watching Laney crumble 
And seeing her be sad was a different level of crushing. You know, she, she right. was she was tough. She was she 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 felt every heartbreak, and we just rolled with it. And she was like, "Nah, they're wrong," or "Nah, they'll see." That was kind of her attitude. But when that one didn't happen, man, I remember her being upset. And and that that scared me. You know what I mean? It it was it was like, whoa, even Lanny felt that one. We'll be back with more of this special Nashville edition after the break. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and up next, I have singer, songwriter, producer, and author Margot Price. She drove into Nashville with her belongings on a flatbed trailer and immersed herself in the city's open mic scene, which helped her to make friends and eventually form a band. Well, so you left all that behind. You left the small town. You moved to Nashville, and you said you were, what, 19, 20 years old? There's a moment in the book where you talk about that and you said when you drove into Nashville for the first time, it was like something out of the Beverly Hillbillies with, you know, everything that was like stacked up on the back of the car or the flatbed. Tell me about that moment, what that was like for y'all driving into town. (laughs) Well, there was like a little bit of a sting of this humiliation because they had just done the same thing to take me down to the college in Chicago and it just didn't work out. And So then it was like, all right, let's put everything on the flatbed trailer again. And my dad literally had bungees and like tarps. And there was just this kid's bed and these ratty old couches. And there was a lot of, okay, I don't know what you're doing, but I guess we'll just help you cart your shit down the interstate. My parents just kind of left me there and it was like, all right, well, good luck. And I immediately like wrecked my car and couldn't find a job and was just, I don't know, just floundering, but it was so exciting. I immediately started going out to all these open mics, just trying to figure out how I was going to like insert myself into the city. It was exciting, but it was definitely like, oh shit, what did I do? Well, I want to ask you about those open mics and some of those clubs and kind of dives that you played in. When you look back at that time, was there a favorite spot to play that was like that before you were playing at the Ryman? Yeah. That's what I did is I literally sat down. I went and picked up a copy of this paper that was called All the Rage. It was like a little tiny pocket-sized thing. And I was like, looked at all the clubs. I went and checked all of them out and I wrote down a list and was like, I'm going to play all these clubs. And the Ryman was definitely like kind of at the end, but I started going out to this place that was called the hall of fame lounge. It was a hotel bar, but I could just go up. They would let anybody play. And so you were getting a sampler of all kinds of writing in Nashville. What drew me to the place was like, people were like, oh, Towns Van Zandt used to hang out here, you know. Towns was in here. And another time Neil Young came in and my friend got to hang with Neil Young. But you were getting 
the best and the worst because it was right on Music Row. So it was in a Best Western and the whole place was kind of decorated like Cracker Barrel, you know, like <sighs> just like antlers and it had charm. It had wood paneling and it was just, it was a really cool place, but it was a lot of older people there. So like I was 20 and I'd say that the target audience or like clientele there was probably 40 to 65. But I made friends with some of these like old timer people and they would buy me beers. <laughs> Give me tips. Give me songwriting tips. And I know you love the uh five spot too in East Nashville. You've played there a bunch, right? Oh yeah. Spent thousands of dollars there just opening bar tabs and I mean I met half my band there. I owe a lot to the five spot and just East Nashville in general. It's easy to get kind of bitter when you've been somewhere for I've been here for 19 years now and so I feel like I have grown the right to be able to hate it and pick at it you know and complain about the lack of parking and <laughs> yeah I complain about all the things that changed when I came here 20 years ago and started this gentrification but I got such a sweet spot for that time and that I mean there were just so many cool bands coming through and so many people I saw shovels and rope play there when they were just first taken off, I remember seeing Jason Isbell play there. Cool people were just coming by and, and playing sets. And then there was so many like amazing underground bands and people that were unknown, but that were just full of talent. Caitlin Smith visited Nashville for the first time at 15 years old and knew that she wanted to live there someday. She eventually moved there at 23, but her path to success wasn't as easy as she initially thought. Did this set in motion your kind of Nashville idea, like it might be time to start thinking about a move to Nashville if I'm going to be serious about this? Yeah, it really did. I mean, so I went and I recorded that song and did it like a little independent record. It really did set the ball in motion. We met some random person who was from Nashville and they invited us down to come check it out. And I really fell in love with Music City on that trip. I remember discovering Music City and seeing like, wow, it's an incredible town that's full of people like me that want to do this music thing that's so cool. But what I didn't realize that I would find was that it's Songwriter City and that there's this whole mm. job out there where people just make up songs. And I thought, dang, this is the coolest thing. I found really quickly like, you can have the best voice in the world, but really what sets you apart and gives you a long career I was seeing was great songs. That's really what I wanted to focus energy into. And so I started taking trips back and forth every handful of months and eventually made the move down to Nashville a handful of years later. So how old are you when you're in that van with your mom on that first trip? Yeah, so I was 15. Wow. Yeah. So this was right after the state fair thing. Right after the state fair thing, we made the record. And really, that solidified it for me that it's like that trip made me go, I want to live here. I want to be here. I don't need to go to college, mom and dad. I'm just going to write songs. And they're like, okay, which I felt so grateful that they were like, what's your plan? I spent the next couple of years just trying to graduate high school as soon as possible and gigging on the weekends. <laughs> and like, I had my mind made up that it was Nashville or bus. So you get to Nashville and I'm wondering if there was an early gig in Nashville that kind of stands out for you, good or bad. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I remember one of the first gigs I played in Nashville. 
And the only reason why I knew about it is because I was a huge, huge fan of this artist, Patty Griffin. And I was just oh, sure. looking online, I'm like, where is she playing next? How can I go see her? And I saw she was playing this festival. So I found an email. I emailed them. I was like, do you guys need a, another artist, an opening act? And I remember they're like, yeah, we do. We listen to your MySpace. It's great. Like I just remember getting the gig off of MySpace. I drove down there and I played on this flatbed trailer with hay bales all over it and pumpkins. And there was only a couple people there, but it got me in the door. I met some Nashville folks in there and made some lifelong connections just from that hay bale gig <laughs> back in the day. You know, I heard you say somewhere that living in Nashville really changed you. And I'm just curious what you meant by that. Wow. Well, I think it was really formative. It was a formative time. I moved to Nashville when I was 23 years old. My husband and I got married. Two Minnesota kids moved straight to Nashville. It absolutely changed me. I mean, what an incredible opportunity to live in a city that eats, sleeps, and breathes music. I definitely moved to Nashville fairly naive and thinking, all right, I'm going to move here. I'm going to write some songs. But really, I wanted to move here and be an artist. And I thought, heck, I'll just take a couple meetings and get a record deal. I say that because I think I didn't realize how difficult it would be too. And so there's the piece where it's the community made me. But it also, as an artist, it's hard to hear no. It's hard to have doors closed. It's hard to hear no a billion times. Like everybody's doing music, but it's kind of built on luck too, right? You just hope that you'll get that lucky cut or that one person will be at that one show and you'll get your record deal or whatever it is. It's hard not to be jaded after a handful of years of living here. I'm sure. And so there's a piece of that too. That also makes me who I am. And it's a love-hate relationship for sure. It's like I'm obsessed with this city. It also breaks my heart. I write songs about it all the time. <laughs> Well, so you wrote a song called I Can't. Yeah. Which you recorded with Old Dominion. And Matthew Ramsey's been on this show before. And awesome. um, it talks a lot about change and yeah. how hard it can be. Yeah. And there's actually a scene in the video that you made for it where you're crying. What was on your mind when you wrote that song? Yeah. I wrote that song after living in Nashville for a handful of years and see, I was driving by downtown Nashville and I was seeing like the skyline is just littered with a billion cranes and 16 new skyscrapers. And like, that's where the first lines of the song came. Like this ain't a 20 minute town no more. It don't look the same. Like all that is just talking about the change that I've watched the city go through. Because when I moved here, there was like, three restaurants that you could go to if you wanted a fancy dinner. Like it was a sleepy little town, right? And so I've, I've watched the city change, but then also I myself have changed as a person. I've had friendships and relationships come and go in my life and just evolved as a human. I wrote it to kind of sound like a breakup song, but it really dig, it speaks a lot deeper to just the change that I've gone through. I was so, so pumped that Old Dominion decided to join me on the song and add their magic. And making the music video was so, so fun because it gives you an opportunity to then show another angle and thought. And so in that scene where I'm crying, it was actually pretty easy to go there because it was, it was like right in the middle of like pandemic land. And we made the video to bring awareness to save our stages to Neva. 
and how we haven't been on the road in a year. And like, so it was really easy to get to the tears. <laughs> Those tears are real <laughs> in the video. Anderson East started college at Middle Tennessee State right after high school. But after a year and a half, he realized the college life wasn't for him, and he took his chances on Nashville. So at what point did you move to Nashville? I mean, this is not a super long trip for you. It's only, what, 100 miles up the road? Yeah. But I'm wondering what those first few months were like for you in Nashville and whether you felt really confident about where you were headed or did you have some doubts? Well, I moved as soon as I graduated high school and my parents were like, you got to get an education. You got to go to college. It's like, okay, well, that's not something I'm really interested in. And I don't really have any interest in having any kind of job. And so I looked around and found Middle Tennessee State down in Murfreesboro because they had a recording engineering program. And I was like, well, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go hang out in the studio because that's the only thing I cared about. I went up there. I was all by myself. And sure enough, I just lived in recording studios. And I was still very much in my rebellious years and couldn't be bothered to listen to anybody tell me what to do. And a friend of mine, he'd started a actual commercial studio and built out the rooms and the floating floors. I was like, this is a legit thing. And so he just let me start hanging around. And then eventually I moved up to Nashville about a year and a half into that. I was like, you know, Murfreesboro's great and all, but I want to be up there where they're doing the real thing. And uh, so I would do the commute, but I don't think there was ever any moment of doubt in the decision to come up here. There's definitely doubts on other things on various days. (laughs) I heard very early on this Paul Simon quote where he's like, Something to the effect of like recording studio is, is the perfect place because it's the only only place that you can fix anything. And I was like, I think that's where I want to be too. Well, what a great experience for you and what a great foundation for so much of what you're doing now. Grammy-winning blues artist Kev Moe moved to Nashville in 2010 after his wife decided that she wanted to leave L.A., Nashville welcomed them with a disastrous flood. The musicians in the city embraced them with open arms. So, Kev, you know, a lot of artists make the move to Nashville in their 20s or their teens. But for you, that came a lot later. And I've heard that your wife, Robbie, was actually an instigator. How did that move happen? Well, we packed up the house, called a moving van, and here we are. (laughs) That's the short story. Here's the long story. So we're sitting in the dining room, and she looks at me teary-eyed and goes, I want to leave L.A. I want to get out of here. I'm like, okay, well. Of course, like I I had told her that we we didn't have to stay in L.A., so she wanted to go. So we had a discussion about where we're going to go because I could clearly see that 
she was not going to be happy staying in L.A. So we started talking about towns, and the discussion was, okay, if you put a gun to our heads right now and said, you got to move right now, where are you going? We both said, Nashville. <laughs> so we moved to Nashville, and I just kind of like got comfortable with it after the after the moving van left and realized that all our stuff was here, and this is where we were going to live, so I made peace with it. And this is what year that you moved? 2010. Then it started raining really hard. <laughs> I mean, rain like I've never seen. Like buckets of rain started going down. And I was about to go out to Leaper's Fork to do a jam. It was like Robin Ford and Vince Gill and Larry Carlton. These guys were out there going to do a jam. So I said, I'm going to go out there. And um, it was just raining. I put my stuff in the back of the car. And, and then Vince calls and goes like, you might want to just wait a minute, stay where you are. <laughs> you weren't used to all that big, rain. That was the big flood. <laughs> oh, that rain, yeah. Yeah, right. that's the big Nashville flood. <laughs> so that we got welcomed to Nashville by the flood. And uh, so once that was done with and uh, we got all of my stuff out, the big puddle down at Soundcheck, <laughs> my gear, where my gear was, I figured that's the worst it can get. So here we are, 11 years later. Well, Keb, you seem like a Nashville institution now, so it it seems like it's worked out pretty well. Did you say imposition or institution? (laughs) Institution? You're part of the fabric of that town now. Well, Nashville has been very nice and very accommodating to me. And so it made for a nice transition. I mean, I would have liked the town even without the welcome. You know, but that made it better. And I got to meet different players and different things. And I literally started a new life and expanded my realm of people to engage with creatively and socially. It was great. Thanks for tuning in to our Nashville episode of Biscuits and Jam. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Our theme song is by Sean Watkins of Nickel Creek. Make sure to tune in next Tuesday, March 14th, for the first interview of season four with country music duo Brothers Osborne.